God declares, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My brothers, my sisters, in Christ. She didn't know it yet, but Amanda Knox's trial had already begun. As soon as the Italian investigators arrived at the scene, they were already judging her. She had a test to pass, and she failed. She ended up getting convicted for 25 years to serve for a murder she did not commit. Why? Because they didn't like the way she was acting at the crime scene. They didn't think that that's how someone acts when their roommate has been murdered. She didn't realize it, but her grief, her shock, was being judged as her performance. She didn't know it, but her the rest of her life would be changed based on how she did. Because those investigators believe that when you are in shock, when you are in grief, that's when you show your true colors. That's how you show what you really feel about something. And there's some truth to that, isn't there? You show what you really feel about your job when you're fired. You show what you really felt about your buddy when they move out of town. You show what you really feel when things are suddenly taken from you. When you don't have time to think about your reaction and people are watching. So here we are, another group of Christians watching as Job reacts to unspeakable, horrendous tragedy. What does Job show about himself and about us? Job is a classic riches-to-rags story. He had it made. Job could live off-grid. He had everything he needed. He was completely self-sustainable. He was so rich. He had flocks, he had herds, he had camels, he had enough servants to take care of them all. He had an employee roster a mile long, and he knew every single one of them. He could take care of every single one of them and their families. He was so well off that his kids could afford to go party every day, within reason we assume, of course, on his dime. And he had more left over after taking care of everybody else, after his kids would, would eat his food and drink his wine, he still had more because he would daily make sacrifices to God. He did not leave God out of this equation. He had a good relationship with God. He sacrificed not only for himself and worshiped on his own behalf, but the book tells us that he also made sacrifices on behalf of his kids just in case they did anything wrong, just in case they angered God while they were partying. So that's Job's life. What a beautiful picture, and it all, all, every inch of it changes in less than 24 hours. Because one, one servant comes and says that a band of raiders has come and has taken your herds away, Job, and they've killed all your servants. And that's a blow. That's a shock for sure. But it's not something that Job won't be able to recover from. He's surely had personal relationships with all those employees, and he's going to mourn their loss, of course, but he can't find more employees. And he takes a big financial hit when his herds are gone, but he could probably find more herds. But before Job can even think about this, two more servants come in rapid succession while they're still talking, and they inform him of further tragedy. Fire from heaven, which could mean a freak desert lightning storm, has destroyed his flocks. And then another band of raiders has come and taken everything 
So now, Job is bankrupt. He has nothing. He doesn't have a penny to his name. But people come back from bankruptcy. And it, it does happen. And Job, with enough wherewithal, with enough uh, forward thinking, could probably recover from this somehow, some way. But before he can even think about that, the biggest grief any parent can experience at all falls at his feet. All of your kids are dead. Why Job? Why does Job, of all people, have this big target painted on his back? Why would Job be the one who has to suffer so much, so much more than I have ever had to suffer, so much more than you or I? Why does Job get singled out for such suffering? That is a very natural question as we read this text. We ask why so-and-so is suffering when we see someone who we feel don't, doesn't deserve it. They seem to be, be dealt a bad hand in life. But when we ask that why, we're not really searching for an explanation, are we? We're not really looking for the information we need to satisfy our curiosity. No, you've read the Bible, you've heard those lessons. Jesus guarantees that part of following him is going to entail a cross. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that suffering produces perseverance. You know that suffering comes along, and you're supposed to learn some lessons for it, right? You're supposed to benefit from you somehow. So that's not the kind of why we're asking when we say why, Job. We're looking for who to blame. When unjust suffering happens, we are ready to point the finger. Whose fault is this? You see, we want to be Amanda Knox. We want to be the innocent suffering victim who is wrongly accused. But we are a lot more like those Italian investigators who were so quick to convict off of such little information, anything made them suspicious, and they rushed toward a conviction. That's us. Your neighbor loses his job. You assume he must not have been very good at it. Or maybe his boss is a jerk. But when you lose your job, and you thought you were doing great at it, then it must be someone else's fault. There must be someone to blame. And if we can't find people to blame, maybe it's God's fault. Maybe God did this. And we throw God himself under the bus. But in our rush to a conviction, will we convict the innocent? Will we convict God of wrongdoing, will we say, God, why have you done this to me? Why have you put me in this marriage with this crabby husband? Why have you put me in this job where nobody thanks me, nobody recognizes what I do? Why have you put me in this city that is so violent and everyone is so angry with each other? Why did you do this to me, God? And that's a why that's not looking for information, it is searching blame. But do we really want to go there? Do you really want to play the blame game with God? In your relationship with God, do you really want to bring up what you deserve and say, this is not what I deserve, God? Do you really want to pretend that, like Job, our sacrifices to God are enough that he should be forced to give us good? Do you really want to go there and say that God isn't fulfilling his end 
of the Bible. Now, unlike the case with Amanda Knox, when we convict an innocent God of wrongdoing, we're the ones who are condemned. We're the ones who suffer because of that. And so we don't go there. All of our eyes are on Job. How is this man going to respond to his suffering? What does he say? After this news, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Amanda Knox only had to serve a couple years of that sentence, still a long time in a foreign prison before she was brought back to the U.S. But what got her acquitted, what, what got her free, was she had some very good legal help that was committed to looking at the facts. You see, the truth triumphs over our rush to a conviction. And so while our tendency, when we suffer, or when we watch suffering happen, is to say, who's at fault for this? Job himself, the one who is suffering, doesn't go there. Instead, he directs his eyes and directs our eyes to the truth. And the truth is, like Job, we come into this world bringing nothing with us, and we're going to leave this world bringing nothing with us. God doesn't owe us a thing. But what does that mean? To look at the brackets of your life as naked I came in and naked I'm going to go, I don't own a thing, it, it, it's a confession, Job is saying, that the stuff in between those two brackets, we have frighteningly little control over. Whether you are blessed, whether you get rich, whether you are poor, whether you have to suffer, whether you have good times or bad times, you have frighteningly little control over that. And that's frightening if your goal was to remain in control. That's frightening until you see who does have control. God. Now, unlike Amanda Knox, God did it. I know that kind of ruffles our feathers a little bit as confessional Lutherans. You're not supposed to say that God is the author of evil. You're not supposed to say that God is the cause of suffering. You're not supposed to say that God causes anybody to sin. And all those things are true. God is not the reason why there is evil in this world. But is it possible that we sprint so fast to those explanations for why there's evil in this world that we trip and break our own backs? Is it possible that we try so hard to protect God's innocence when we're talking about why there's evil in the world that we actually rid God of his control? Saying stuff like, oh, the fact that there's sin or the fact that there's suffering, that's people's fault. God has nothing to do with that. God does allow this to happen. Job does say, God, you had a part in this suffering. You allowed this to happen. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. But Job refuses to see that as a crime. He refuses to see that as wrongdoing on God's part. Now, how? How could that not be wrongdoing? Because of what Job knew about God already. See, thus far in the book of Job, we already know the reasons why this has happened. 
Thus far, I know earlier before this lesson, Satan himself has come before God and said, you know what, I think, God, that Job only likes you because you bless him. I think that Job only worships you because you've given him so much stuff. And that's an easy thing to prove, right? All you got to do is take away the stuff and see how Job reacts. And the devil was proved wrong. Job didn't just like God or the gift exchange God. I give a little bit of this, you give me a little bit of that. But Job confessed that God is the giver of all things. He owes his entire life to God. Job had been trained throughout his life to see his blessings, not as things that he earns, but as gifts from God that God can take away if he wants to. Job refused to view God in any other lens than through his life. See, in a gift exchange, it's better if things are equal. My, my and my wife's anniversary is coming up. Let's say I buy her a coffee mug, and she buys me a new suit. One of us took this a little bit more seriously than the other. It's always a little bit awkward when you do a gift exchange with someone, and it's, it's not equal, right? There's that implicit expectation that we should give each other equal gifts. But what about you and God? You give him nothing. He gives you everything. Job had enough proof to hang on to that. You have even more. Because God's grace, God's giving love that you do not deserve, that was poured over your head at your baptism. The last time you celebrated the Lord's Supper, you tasted and saw that God is good. He's not a random God who pokes you around, curses you one minute, blesses you another just to see who's for No, he loves you. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, you see that suffering can serve God's purposes. As the Son of God and Son of Man suffered for the hell that all sin of all people of all humanity deserves. That was for you. And so even in your, your good times and your bad times, you know that God's grace has not gone anywhere. You can accept the fact that there is a cross in your life, but know that God has put it there for a good reason. You can react like Job did. He didn't put God on the witness stand, though he acted more like a good kid who doesn't understand why mom and dad do what they do, but just trusts they must have good reasons for doing what they do. That's you and God. God is in the driver's seat. And he has good reasons for doing whatever he does. You can trust that, and the cross is the proof. The cross is the proof that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He hasn't gone anywhere, even if times are hard, because he abandoned Jesus instead of you. The cross is proof that your suffering is not your moment to pay for your sins, because there's no punishment left. Jesus paid it all on the cross. The cross is proof that God can use the valleys as well as the mountains in your life for your good, somehow, in some way. And so the cross is all you need to suffer with dignity. Because, I'm going to tell you a goofy statement, Job was sad. Let's not read this lesson so fast that we forget that Job was deeply Grieving, he was suffering. Bad things happened to him. But he refused to let those bad things change the way he viewed God. He refused, he refused to blame the Lord for it. 
Because Jesus has already been blamed in your place. He has already taken your guilt on, up on the cross. So your, your trials, your sufferings are not because someone is at fault. And God is using it. And that's Job's perspective. And so bad things might happen to you. The problems in your marriage are problems. We're not going to say just ignore them. But are they a cross that God has placed on you? Certainly. You won't react like a lot of people might react, and as soon as things get hard, you just ditch the marriage, you just ditch the situation God has placed you in. But just understand that God is using even this to teach me to look not at myself and my worthiness, and not at God to blame me, but to teach me to look back at the cross as my source of strength to get through this. So you'll show up at work tomorrow. And maybe nobody will say thank you. Maybe your students will be extra disrespectful. Maybe your team won't listen to a thing that you say. But that cross that God has placed on you is your chance, your opportunity to earn anything from God. And to look back at the cross of Jesus Christ for your source of strength. For when God proved your worth to him. And so, even though Job was sad, even though Job was suffering, he looked at God's grace. He knew that God is not a random God who just gives and takes away based on what he feels, but he knew that God operates by the rule of grace, his undeserved love for you. And so Job looked at God through that lens, even through layers of heavy tears. And we do too. And that's what gives dignity to our suffering. To know that it has some purpose, and to know that God has allowed it for some reason that ultimately will be for my good. That's how we suffer with dignity, trusting in God's 